welcome to this episode of the EdTech Podcast. The sun is shining here in the UK and I moved house over the weekend so I've been having lots of fun recording this episode intro in our loft and look forward to bringing you lots more content from right here. I'll soon be back in the roof or in our loft and be busy working away on the next episode of our Education 4.0 series coming right up. But first, this week's episode is a treasure trove digging into digital skills development. You'll hear from Karenza Jennings on the art of audio production and digital skill access for all. Iris Lipinski on new learning tools for early adopter teachers who want to pick up new skills in machine learning and AI. And Patrick Cutliffe, who is working with Facebook to upskill a huge cohort of 18 to 30 year old learners to earners. But before all that, today is April Fool's Day and you may have noticed that Brexit Day in the UK has passed with no Brexit. We know polarisation of politics is not a uniquely British thing. And so for all of our international listeners, I spoke to one man looking to broaden the debate by involving students. If the grown-ups can't sort out this Brexit mess, then maybe the students can. Now, Boats for Schools itself was started three years ago now, so it was started in March 2016, so we're just coming up to our three-year anniversary, and it was started with the idea of getting young people more involved in politics and helping them to understand politics better. It was, it was done by the founders out of an idea that young people weren't particularly engaged in politics, they weren't voting in great numbers in the general election the year before. And they wanted to change that and provide some excitement around politics and make young people feel like they could make a difference, which is hence kind of how our program is split into teaching about politics, so providing lessons, but also getting young people to vote on these things actively each week. The... um, the programme now, over three years, has broadened into something much bigger. So we're now working with just over 450 schools right across the country. And the idea is to cover not only political topics, but everything that is important to young people. So we've covered everything from topics involved in sex, sex and relationships, LGBT issues, all the way to things like international relations. Um, and we're constantly asking our young people what are the issues they want to cover. And we're constantly talking to teachers to ask them about things they struggle to talk about in the classroom and they struggle to find time for. Um, coming to our data, we'll talk about it a bit later, we now have about twenty to 25,000 students voting every single week on the issues we ask them about. Um, and it's really, really useful now for us to be able to see what young people think right across the country. And we're building up a great picture of what young people think about all sorts of different issues. Matt Beer is the CEO for Votes for Schools. Here he talks about getting a sense of what students think. Over the three years that we've covered uh, votes for schools, we've we've jumped in and out of Brexit. So I've always been very wary that, like many of us with the news, we don't want to develop some sort of student Brexit fatigue. So we've we've delved in and out of it over three years, and we've done five different topics on Brexit over these three years. So we started off very early on with a very straightforward question at the similar time to the second referendum to say, should the United Kingdom remain a member of the European Union? Now, this this sample size is a little bit smaller than we are now. So we're not talking 20,000 students voting here. We're talking more like one to 2,000 students voting 
but still a really useful indication. And our students told us, our secondary students told us, that 79% of them at the time of the referendum felt we should remain in the EU. So that was an interesting start for us. And that trend has carried on somewhat over the past three years so basically what we've seen um, and I think you know this has been pulled out in the media but there has been a tendency for young people to lean on the side of us remaining in the EU so we did a vote on whether there should be a second referendum and that was very close but and, and there were some differences across the country but we saw that just over half 52 percent of secondary students said there should be a second referendum uh, it was done in september of 2016 and then moving all the way forwards to a much more recent vote we did should the uk stay in the single market so the point of what we were doing here and what we try to do with our students is to really try and educate them about the detail. Um, what does Brexit mean? And is, try and boil this topic down to some very simple facts. So this, this vote on the single market was saying, should there be a customs union? What does that mean? Should we stay in the single market? What does that mean? Should we leave without a deal? And when we said, put to the question of them, should we stay in the single market? 68% of our students said, yes, we should stay in the single market. Now, that was that's all a focus on secondary students but i think it's also interesting to focus on primary because we work with students right from the age of four to 18 and um there's been lots of discussion over the past few years about you know changing the age at which students can vote and at what point are students really aware and immersed in politics and why i will testify to is that from the work we've done we can see that students even to the age of the kind of infant size kind of four, five, six, seven, can have some understanding of what's going on in the world around them and really can be still passionate about it. So when we did, should it, is it important for you to know about Brexit with our primary students, which is quite recent, 70% of our primary students said, yes, it is important for them to know about Brexit, um, even at their stage. And we've um, as well as the percentages, we, we take some feedback from the students personally. We have a lot of qualitative feedback. In that primary vote about knowing about Brexit, one of the comments we had from a, and this is from a young key stage two student, is we shouldn't leave the single market because if we leave, it would be harder for us to go into other countries and for people to immigrate over to Britain. But on the other price as well as that prices will go up for items you can buy in our country and the ta our taxes might rise so that's a primary school student which i think is just amazing how much knowledge they can build up or how much understanding they can have on a subject and similarly just to delve quickly into the set some secondary school comments so we have um some students saying that we could, if we leave the single market, we can make our own laws about trading and we can make other links to new countries. So we'll be able to decide on our import prices for ourselves. However, this will all have to be done fairly quickly if we are to benefit from leaving the single market. We have uh, students saying the UK should stay in the single market because it's better for our well-being and for animals, talking about human rights. And there is just a whole range here of students really feeding back into the detail of some of the policies around Brexit. It's not a broad brushstroke, and we can see that they're really determined to get an understanding of this subject. So for us, that's been really rewarding.
Thanks, Matt. Perhaps in the future we'll actually get to the point where we're voting online. But before all that, we'd better pick up some digital skills. Here's my interview with Carenza Jennings, Director at the Office of His Royal Highness the Duke of York at the Inspiring Digital Enterprise Award, or IDEA. We spoke during BET 2019, where we talked about digital access. Enjoy! Okay, wonderful. So, um, just finished the interview with uh, Mitch Resnick, and I'm now here with Carenza Jennings, CEO uh, of the Duke of York Inspiring Digital Enterprise Award, or IDEA, as it might otherwise be called. If you sort of hear some um, banging dance music in the background, that's the Pi Top launch, so uh, don't worry about that. Um, so, Carenza, first of all, um, thanks very much for taking the time to speak with me today. Pleasure, nice to be um, here. Before we talk about IDEA, and actually you just mentioned that you've already been on the podcast in our guest episode that James Bridgman kindly put together. Um, so I'll, I'll kind of work out what number that was and we'll go back and we'll share that in the, in the show notes so people can get a further idea of some of your projects as well. Um, but to warm up, I noticed that you've done a lot of work in journalism and radio as well. So very selfishly from my own point of view, I thought we could talk a little bit about that first. And so that you worked across the BBC and, among other things, the executive producer of the Inventive Journalism Programme and features editor at BBC Student Radio Oxford. Um, so just to warm up, what top tips would you share with me and other listeners who might be passionate about podcasting and the power of, I suppose, digital media um, and interviewing as well? So what makes it good to listen to? And uh, yeah, what tricks should you think about when you're making it? As you probably would guess, I would think they're probably very linked. I think when you're a listener, the wonderful thing about podcasts and or the radio is that it's a very intimate medium. So you can lose yourself in your world listening to the person talking and you can potter about doing whatever you're doing. You might be driving, you might be fixing dinner for somebody or yourself, you might be doing your housework and you can listen and you can feel yourself lost in a world, whisked up and escaped, learning really, really, really interesting nuggets, which is absolutely fascinating. And it's just a way of just dipping into a kind of a vast, vast treasure island of knowledge, which is just fascinating. When you're making radio or, or podcasts, I think it's really interesting to think about the fact that people will, will be dipping in and out, depending on the use case, depending on who the listener is, or they might be just really luxuriating in it. So you've got to think about pace and energy, and you've got to think about variety. And I think it's always quite good to sort of mix things up a little bit in terms of the pace. Um, so give somebody a little bit of an introduction, give somebody a bit of an overflow, mix and match the dialogue, um, hear different voices. It's really, really nice to introduce um, sound effects and music as well, I think, just to kind of give textures and layers to make the, make the listening experience as interesting as possible. Okay, well, I'm going to take all of that on board. Hopefully in the next couple of episodes, we'll have all of those good ideas um, integrated into them. On to idea. So, if I understand correctly, you're on a mission to spread digital skills. How are you going about doing this? Well, the Duke of York set up the Inspiring Digital Enterprise Award because he wants to help people become economically active. And people is a very broad term. So, we are actually working with a whole variety of people and around the planet, actually. So, um, the way we've gone about it is, is all grassroots engagement it's all outreach it's all peer-to-peer -peer advocacy so you work at kind of a grassroots level with a school or a university or a skills organization or a charity or a council or um, a, an apprenticeship group for example 
and you help them see the various benefits of idea and the fact that it's an entirely flexible tool and then they have a go and in all the cases we've experienced so far people have really loved it and so in a way it sort of um, it does its own mission spreading because people love it they tell other people about it they tell other people about it and in some ways I think it's the most authentic way of of helping spread the word particularly around something which is around education and ed tech you know you don't this is this is something which is it's all about the authority and the integrity of the brand so it's not about sort of shiny advertising campaigns it's about people noticing that it works the engage the resources are engaging fun and useful it's free um, and it's really easy to use and so it kind of it's like pass the parcel people people discover it they love it they tell somebody else about it and then somebody else starts using it so we have people we have refugees using it we have prisoners using it we have job seekers using it we're working with so many different partners. It's just so inspiring and exciting to see how we're making some genuine transformative um, impact on people's lives. And then for people that are listening in and, and kind of thinking, you know, some of them will, will be familiar with the platform, others perhaps less so. Um, how would you describe it to them? It's really fun. It's accessible. It's colourful. When you go into it, it's the kind of thing that just draws you in and makes you want to have a go. You just you tap and you have a go. It's being used by some people as a digital inclusion tool that shows you how easy and accessible it is. And there are others who are professionals. They might be accountants or solicitors, or they might be um, retired people who are thinking that they're missing out on digital skills. The point is, across all the different platforms, Idea works on absolutely all devices, and it works on all combinations of device, operating system, and browser. The individual modules we've actually called badges. So when you complete a module, which are all bite-sized, you know, the, the quickest ones take about 10 minutes to do, the longest ones take about an hour and a half. So they're very accomplishable. You can stop and start them as often as you like, and you win a badge. It's a digital badge, and your digital badge forms part of your record of achievement, which is an entirely immutable record, which helps prove your accomplishments. And that's for our idea badges, and also the badges we're doing with all of our partners. And so you mentioned it's entirely immutable. So uh, do you foresee in the future you'll be popping that on the blockchain or something like that? Entirely possible. I mean, what we've created is something which is based on a, um, a verification number which is completely tied to you uniquely. So that means you can share your code and it's, it's completely tied to you and you've been able to show what you're able to do. So say, for example, you're somebody who's um, struggled with um, the formal educational system and you haven't really got qualifications, but you have done a few idea badges and you've learned how to stay safe on the internet. You've learned how to use social media. You've learned how to maybe make a website. You can prove some of the skills you've done using the record of achievement that idea will generate for you, all completely free. And if, by the way, you win one of our awards, bronze is beginner level, silver is intermediate, gold is advanced coming later this year, you get a lovely certificate that is made in and then dispatched from Buckingham Palace, which is where I work. How do you fund the platform? And uh, you, you have different funders, but um, you mentioned that it's free. Yes. Um, so long term... You know, people will be thinking if I'm collecting the badges and they want to know that, you know, that code will continue to refer back to something that's live. So what's the kind of sustainable business model beyond how it works currently or how does it work currently? Well, um, IDEA is a community interest company. So it's kind of like a, a charitable social enterprise. Um, and it's fully grant funded. So we have a number of different um, supporters who very kindly back our work. So um, 
I, I literally do write grant applications and okay. if I'm successful, I'm lucky enough to win the money. Um, but we have a pool of people who are very, very um, supportive of idea. So I don't think we need to be worrying in the sh- yeah. for, a, for, for a long time to come. <laughs> what are the kind of current skills in terms of the badges? And are there any that you can see new badges coming online, such mm-hmm. as, for example, like an entry course to AI or... Any, uh, any that you're kind of looking at further down the road as well? Yeah, it's a really good question. So, for example, just recently, we've published a badge on big data. We published a badge on blockchain. Mm-hmm. Um, things like we've got the social media setup badge, which is the only uh, module that we know of where in one quick and easy free module, you can learn how to sign up and start using all of the six main social media channels. That's very useful. Now, over time... You know, we don't know, you know, I think, you know, some of the social media networks only started up in, say, 2002, 2003, something like that. They, it feels like they've been here forever, but they, they, I remember a pre-social media world. And in time, more technologies will come on stream. And we will always, we have an app store, which is actually what we call the badge store. And everything is completely free. So what we do is we make more and more badges in response to, to basically the user need. And a really good example of that is this year, the GDPR came in in sort of May last year, uh, May, May 2018. And, um, and I was noticing there's a, a huge amount of interviews with small business owners who are getting very, very sort of muddled up about what the GDPR stood for, what it yeah. meant for them. And some, in some instances, paying quite a lot of money to consultancies and still feeling a little bit muddled up. So I thought, well, why don't we just provide a service which can be entirely free and include within that a downloadable free guide. And the GDPR badge is one of our most popular badges. You know, it might sound like a dry topic, but if you can quickly and easily within an hour get your head around the main principles of it, you can apply that to your business or to the things that you're running in a a, a nice, easy, accessible way. Okay, so in terms of like just getting my head around the scale of how many people you've worked with and helped to sort of upskill in these different areas... What sort of numbers are you looking at there? And then is the idea that these learners then go on to so some whether it's uh, big data, they might go on to do more formal qualification? And so um, we've got more than two hundred thousand people signed up and using Idea. Um, we launched in twenty seventeen the Bronze Inspiring Digital Enterprise Award, and a few months ago we launched the Silver Inspiring Digital Enterprise Award. And on the tenth of December twenty eighteen, we tipped over more than a million of our badges have been completed around the world. So we've now got quite a lot more than that. Like I think it's coming up for one point three million have been completed. Um, so we're in more than one hundred countries. Um, the use cases range really dramatically. Um, I remember I was with the Duke of York. Uh, last spring and we were hearing a talk by the deputy chief executive of Wigan Council. Now, Wigan Council being one of our pioneer institutions right from the very beginning they started rolling out idea to a number of different residents and that included housing tenants, job seekers, people um, who had uh, special educational needs both children and adults, um, people who had various um, mental health difficulties and also children, um, college students, Uh, apprentices, a whole wide range of people. And she told a story while we were there at at this lovely event um, of a gentleman um, called Jason who had been socially excluded and he um, he went along to one of the community-run sessions by a company called Joining Communities, which is a wonderful organization that specializes in helping um, adult males with various difficulties and challenges. And they were running IDEA as one of the activities that they were doing. And he just took to IDEA like a duck to water. He absolutely loved it. And 
within a very short space of time, he managed to get his own bronze award, but was helping everybody else. And he ended, I ended up getting an email from Alison saying, um, Jason's at the Digital Skills Summit at the Greater Manchester Combined Authority with Andy Burnham, saying how idea has changed his life. Because he's now earning money as a digital tutor, and he's discovered an aptitude for something he never knew was possible because he'd never tried it before. So some of the stories are just lovely and inspiring because you've, you've opened up a world to people that they didn't know was there. And sometimes it's just about, um, like you said, about, you know, would big data lead to another qualification, for example? If you give people the opportunity to dip their toes into something, they might discover either they really love it or they're really good at it or, you know, best case scenario, they love it and they're really good at it. And that might just open up their possibilities. So if you think back to the Duke of York's original plan, which is to help people become economically active, it just opens up the range of jobs that people can have. So we're helping people stay safe and flourish in the digital world. And I guess part of that is the, is the access, isn't it? So it's just sort of when you're talking about the different um, user types, and then I thought, you know, wouldn't it be amazing if, if we could help uh, sort of homeless people? Um, we know the, the numbers of homeless people are going up also access this. And then, so I suppose... You, like partnering with those community groups that can help perhaps provide whether it's the laptops or, or phones to, to kind of access that if people don't have smartphones or don't have access to the platform it is, is amazing it's, it's fundamental to the strategy mm-hmm. it's working with amazing partners who help make amazing things happen so it might well be there's one partner that might be able to provide spaces so for example the library networks are fantastic for that yeah. um, in fact I was just at Guildford Library this week having a meeting about spreading idea across the the networks of the libraries in Surrey to help support different community groups Um, refugees and homeless people um, you'll often find that there are there are community groups that help look after them and they they through their various connections and have access to technology or space you might it's just like sometimes you have a wonderful triangulation happening where someone will provide space someone will provide technology a fantastic example of that recently is um, in the British Virgin Islands following the cyclone Um, all of the school buildings were decimated and they were lacking um, all the different infrastructures that you need to help the children continue a a more normal life and so they came to us and said we would like to use idea as the curriculum and they went away the 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 government there went away and they they did a deal and got a hold of 500 chromebooks as a sort of starter for 10 and the 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 children there are starting using idea um, to help carry on with their with their kind of learning and it's it's giving them a very broad range of learning of course because some of it is around making so you're learning how to do things like video editing some of it is around enterprise skills so you're learning how to be very enterprising in the way that you go about your life and some of it is is coding and some of it is is learning how to stay safe on the internet so they're using idea but it's that it's that kind of triangulation of a partner wanting to do some good for some people finding the right space and then finding the tech. That's really interesting because you've mentioned triangulation and if you can start to triangulate some of the badges that you've got versus the skill requirements locally and sort of, you know, localise the offering as well, it must be interesting to the the councils or you know employers in those regions as well yeah and thinking in particular for just off the top of my head something like universal credit um, a lot of councils are are obviously very very worried about whether their residents are going to be able to take advantage of um, the various benefits on offer to them 
And so a quick and easy way of helping people navigate through the kind of difficulties of all of that is using an idea badge. So lots of our councils have already spoken to us about is it possible to kind of create more bespoke badges? And the answer is yes, because what we can do on the platform is we can make visible to everybody all the things we want to make visible to everybody, but through certain logins, then they might be able to have access to extra Mm-hmm. extra badges so it might be for example I don't know Stockport Council we work with Stockport Tameside um, Trafford um, Telford and Rekin a whole variety of them they might have their own bespoke badge mm-hmm. that if they've used their particular badge code uh, that will be unlocked they'll be have access to that now those badges don't exist at the moment um, but there's nothing to say they can't in the future you spoke this morning and uh, if I understand correctly so your presentation sort of followed on from the Department for Education um, and speaking about they're going to put, I think it was £10 million uh, into EdTech. Yes, the Secretary of State for Education, Damien Hines, um, did the presentation. And it was very interesting hearing his own journey, actually. I didn't know that he had started off um, when he was, you know, a really little boy, sort of doing some what he called programming in those days. But, of course, we now refer to it mostly as coding. Um, And he went on work to IBM. And it's just very interesting hearing his journey and the fact that he actually does understand the kind of the... The, the, the need to flourish in the digital world. Um, now, in terms of um, how idea works, we have um, charitable fus- uh, trusts and foundations funding us. But the themes of the fact that we need to help equip not just our children and the next generation, but ourselves with digital skills is absolutely vital. And idea exists to help support that. With coding and programming and digital skills, the conversation is quite often on young people. I think there's this huge opportunity with uh, the over 60s and people living longer and equipping those people with digital skills as well. I don't know to what extent you kind of, I think you mentioned that you address all different types of of learners, but like what you're doing uh, there. And then just finally, how are you partnering with people and who are you looking to partner with? Who would be useful if, if they're listening in? you'd like to say you know quick hello to that in order to expand what you're doing and sort of scale it even further as well we are an unashamedly mass market Mm -hmm. ed tech tool and that is why it works uh, for so many different learner groups you know one of our partners is the university of the third age that works with retired communities all all over the whole of the united kingdom and they're using digital um they're developing digital skills using idea in many cases after some lovely pilots that we did last summer in terms of who we want to you know, know about us, well, ev- everybody that we feel can help um, spread the word about idea and get it into the hands of people that will benefit from it. And it can, it can honestly be um, serious professionals who are partway through their careers but feel that they're lacking in skills. could be parents and grandparents who feel there's a disconnect well, between... It's, it's funny you, you mention know. these because as soon as uh, we finished this, I was thinking, okay, I'm, I'm now... I have so many friends that, you know, perhaps have gone through having children and then sort of getting to that stage where they're like okay what do I want where do I want to go next do I go back into the career I had do I reskill and do something differently and you know many of them are looking at digital skill type jobs um, so whether that's coding or whether it's the social media part that you mentioned so there's that and then there's my dad is constantly sort of threatening to finish a degree or do something but doesn't and I've mentioned to him a million times about MOOCs and online learning courses and stuff like that. But so that's another person that straight away I'm like, okay, I want to ping that over yeah. because. But also, this yeah. is accessible. You see, unlike, mm. you know, and 
I, I'm an advocate of all sorts of learning. You've got to do the sorts of learning that suit you. And yeah. I would, by the way, would never claim that idea is a silver bullet. You know, it's we are one of many wonderful solutions out there. And if it works for you, that's wonderful. You know, and, and I think it's often very effective in partnership with lots of other groups. Um, but if you're somebody that doesn't want to commit to a MOOC, then you can dip in and out. You know, at bronze level, you, it's like a pick and mix sweetie shop. You can dip in, do one that you fancy, and you might, you know, people do find them quite addictive. Yeah. You know, you do one, then you think, oh, that's quite good. Um, and because they they cater for lots of different learning modules, some of them are more video based, some are more quiz based, some are quite immersive and interactive but they all have principles of games-based learning and they've all got quite serious learning design as the underpinning. Um, but the point is, it's not like eat your greens type learning. You actually have fun with it. And so it's, it's, almost, um, it's almost surprising how much you feel that you've learnt in one hour because you've enjoyed yourself. And I think you learn most effectively, and I think you know all the I mean, all the literature proves it. And anyway, you learn most effectively when you're highly engaged, and your brain is very actively processing. So your neural pathways are firing up, and you're really enjoying the learning experience. So, who do I want to listen to this? Who do I want to know about us? Kind of all of you, please. Just yeah, this, yeah. if you feel you know anybody, whether it's a child that you know, whether it's one of your parents, whether it's your your friends, whether it's people who've had a break from work to bring up children, you know, mums and dads going back to work can be highly intimidating. I would say the secret source of idea is the inspiring bit of the Inspiring Digital Enterprise Award. You know, you don't have to do it to get the award, although if you want to, that's brilliant. Um, you could just dip in and do the things that work for you. I think the fundamental thing that we offer is a sense of confidence with technology, yeah. and that's the precious gift I think we can give. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for your time today and uh, hopefully lots of people get in contact after this as well. Thank you. If they'd like to get in contact, please use either the Contact Us button on the website or write to us at idea at royal.uk. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Thank you. Another woman supporting the digital skills agenda in the UK and around the world is Iris Lipinski, the CEO for Apps for Good. Many times on the podcast, we've discussed our fear that perhaps general teacher training does not embrace new technologies such as artificial intelligence, which will impact the lives of students, but also the provision of education. Lipinski is working to map the new set of learner tools which are available to early adopter teachers who want to learn more. Here she explains further during our recent interview at the Global Education Skills World Forum. Um, Iris, you were just telling me that you get uh, very excited about uh, mapping exercises and your latest uh, mapping exercise is around the sort of educational um, services out there for teaching around artificial intelligence, machine learning and that kind of thing. So can you explain a little bit more? Yes, of course I can. So um, what Absolute Good does is to um, do technology education. So we create content and courses that teachers then use in the classroom with their students. And um, we initially started out in 2009, 2010. Um, but we built it on a model that came from Brazil, um, from CDI, which um, focused in the mid-1990s on basic ICT skills. And we then made the leap into apps because mm -hmm. 2009, that was sort of the hot technology thing people were excited about. 
Um, <clears throat> but obviously technology evolves. And if you go to teachers, at least some of the teachers in the UK now, and you say you can do app development, they've done it, they like it, but they need something new, especially sort of early adopter teachers. So what we've been trying to do, the majority of what we do is still around apps. We've done a little bit around IoT, but um, we've been starting to look at sort of what is the next wave and how we can help teachers to integrate that into the classroom. And with all of those things you always have, is like, you know, initially people think you're crazy and it's impossible. And then tools emerge that allow you to actually do it practically. Um, and then you see a boom and then everyone is doing it and says, oh, that was very 2009 yeah, with yeah. the apps now. Very web 2.0. So, so I think right now, 2019, that's sort of where you're not really seeing yet mass demand. And, you know, I'm not even sure if policymakers have woken up to it, but you can very clearly see that there are people who are creating tools that allow you to actually teach it in the classroom and to teach it well. And so can you share with the listeners what kind of tools you're seeing emerge and who's involved and where this is happening? as well? Yeah, so right now there are two entry-level tools that exist. One launched, I think, beginning of last year. The second one launched in the summer last year. Um, the first tool that now currently probably gets most adoption is a tool called Machine Learning for Kids, uh, done by Day Lane, um, a UK-based IBM researcher who's been doing that pretty much in his own time. Um, and that is building on top of Scratch, which most teachers would know and be familiar with in the classroom nowadays, an MIT tool. And there are extensions where you can then create your own and train your own machine learning models um, with machine learning for kids. The second tool is a tool called Cognimates that comes out of MIT directly, led by Stefania Druga, um, who I think is a PhD student or might have finished her PhD by now, um, that is also built on top of Scratch. So it's sort of a drag and drop style tool where you can then create your own models and you understand a lot of the logic behind it. The next step up then is looking at Python. And there is a tool um, that has come out of Google called TensorFlow that a lot of not super sophisticated programmers then also use to create machine learning um, models or neural networks. But we'll still see if that is not like too hard to teach. Um, we've been trying like different things and we always have different um, levels of difficulty. So if there is a teacher who's really confident and they want to do it, they can go for the fully blown model. Um, but if they just want to get started, you know, then you need to get started with what you know and what mm -hmm. you feel confident with. So, you know, we don't mind whether they do more difficult or the simpler things. And so as apps for good, will you be aggregating all of these new services that are there to help teaching, uh, to teach AI and machine learning? Yeah, that's sort of part of, of what we're doing. And the way how we do it is like there are different tools. We're not a tools provider. Um, we basically have a learning framework that is now the same pretty much across um, app development and IoT and machine learning. Where you say you learn something about the technology itself, whether that's apps or electronics or machine learning. And then um, kids come up with a problem they're passionate about as a group of students. And then they create a digital prototype through apps, through IoT or through machine learning to solve that problem. Um, so we don't mind what problems they work on. And, you know, the range of problems is quite big, depending on whether you live in rural Scotland or you live in central London. Yeah. There are some universal problems teenagers face. So I wouldn't say it's yeah. like there's no overlap at all. But we don't tell them what problems to work mm -hmm. on. And so, so if I'm a teacher listening in, I can come and find um, some of those new services uh, with Apps for Good. 
Um, but also if I'm a developer that's creating some of some of these that aren't on your radar yet, um, they can also come and get in contact. Definitely would love to hear from anyone who's created uh, creating learning tools um, for the classroom. There is uh, one guy I know in Brisbane who, for example, created an artificial neural network for education purposes. So you can learn about it and play around with it. So anyone who's creating those tools would love to hear from it. And we then just share it out to everyone we know. <laughs> Um, we also have a community of people who work in the tech industry who come in and always explain it. It's a bit like, you know, who wants to be a millionaire, uh, call a friend that the, um, even the best teachers know is like, even if they know their content perfectly, they're not necessarily authentic in the eyes of the students all of the time. So we then bring in who we call like industry experts who ask the kids hard questions, they pitch their ideas and then they give them feedback. Quite often they give exactly the same feedback as what the teacher's been giving, but because it's a different person like, saying oh, the same thing, they, they pivot their idea. Yeah, pay attention. Okay. Um, and then how about sort of next plans for apps for good? So you're going to get these new um, uh, educational tools on your platform. Um, what about internationalizing what you do as well? Well, we've been doing this for a while. So we have, in the UK, we have about 600 plus active schools um, and we keep growing those. Um, we have them across the UK now. So we have schools in Scotland and in England and in Northern Ireland, a little bit less in Wales, I believe. Um, so that is continuing. And I think w with machine learning, as I said, like there is really sort of an adoption curve. So we see some of the most innovative teachers doing it, but you know, anyone I think can do it. It's more about whether you want to do it. Um, We have about 200 active schools now in Portugal, um, where the teacher training we do in Portugal is also accredited by the ministry. Um, and then we have about two dozen, maybe three dozen schools in Arkansas in the United States. So I've been trialing on internationalization in different I places. The, um, the kind of um, person responsible for computer science across Arkansas, because I definitely pronounced it incorrectly. And I remember he picked me up on it uh, at South by Southwest a couple of years ago. But I have to dig that out. But yeah. Yeah, Arkansas is one of those states. It's like because obviously we're seen as a foreign organization coming into the US. And it's not that the US lacks innovation mm -hmm. <laughs> in many ways. Um, but a lot of attention is on the East Coast and the West Coast. Right. And Arkansas, in, in terms of what they've been doing with curriculum policy and, and focus on computer science, um, they've actually been pushing quite hard over the last few years. Yeah. And we are sort of the real-world creative use case of computer science in Arkansas in, in many ways. But the program's actually supported and run locally through a delivery partner. And the same in Portugal. We don't do directly Portugal. We have a partner organization in Portugal who have the relationship with the ministry. And So where would you like to grow next? Um, as you've probably figured out, those geographies are not necessarily strategically chosen. Mm -hmm. So what I've learned over the years, it's not that I decide, but people actually find us. Um, but what I've also learned is like, so typically what works is when um, you need to have a partner who wants to do it. Um, You typically already need to have a public discourse that is interested in real-world use cases of computer science. But then you also need to have the willingness to bring someone else in from outside and not all to do it locally. And education is a very mm -hmm. national endeavor. So that's why, you know, what we found out is we need a partner on the ground who has local credibility. And that's either as an institution or as an individual setting up a new organization. So what I'm now looking is like to find partner organizations 
uh, and ideally already as like networks of people who have that credibility, have those relationships, we can then help with on the digital side. But building those relationships takes years and building credibility, you know, can easily take you a decade yeah, <laughs> to, yeah, to build yeah. that credibility. So I'm I'm totally aware. It's like, you know, um, we had at some point a cluster in Poland where, you know, to the Polish teachers, I said, you know, um, I'm German. Uh, probably Germans have a pretty bad track record of coming to Poland to tell you what to do. So you better listen to your Polish colleagues who've already run the course um, on why that is useful for their students. It's not me telling them why it's yeah, useful. It's yeah. like it doesn't work that way. Well, if people are listening in and they are interested in connecting, what's the best way for them to go about that? Um, well, we regularly run public events. So the next public event we will run is on the 18th of June at Skills Matter in Central London, where we have actually the best student teams who all show up and demo their prototypes, um, which if anyone wants to see the students um, and some of the teachers obviously as well, that's the best case to experience absolute good, I'd say, okay. <laughs> to be honest. Yeah. Um, Otherwise, you know, um, you can always find us and find me on social media, on LinkedIn, on Twitter. Um, You're out there. I'm out there. <laughs> so it's, like, it's pretty easy to find me. It's like, okay, well, thank you very much, Iris. Cool. Thank you. Thanks, Iris. If you were listening in to Iris and Carenza, you would have noticed that confidence is a huge part of developing digital skills. Patrick Cutliffe, founder at Buzzstart Academy, is on a mission to educate over 10 million young people by 2023. He experienced how digital skills development helped to lift him beyond day-to-day -day anxiety into a world of opportunity. He shares how a new ambitious digital skills programme is working to do the same for others and how you, our lovely listeners, can get involved. <laughs> It's a European-wide project from Facebook. It just um, launched in October 2018, um, and they're having a year's pilot up until October 2019. So um, they're running it across Germany, Poland, Italy, France, Spain, and the United Kingdom and Ireland. Um, and essentially, they identified, they, they put out like a survey to, um, you know, people in those regions. So people leaving college and university, um, they call learners, learners to earners, basically. And they also put out a survey to employers across all of those regions as well to try and identify, um, you know, the gaps, the skills gaps that people are having and employers are having um, in our economy. Uh, and they identified that. There are they found twelve uh, soft skills basically that um, you know people essentially don't have or or they don't have a combination of soft skills that they should have and that employers need, but also practical working skills as well. So um, from that then from that knowledge of that survey, they work with Educate out of the University of London, um, which is a body within the university, and they found that <clears throat> those were the skills that were needed. So from that they built a um, workshop which includes six modules. Um, to incorporate those soft soft skills within the content and how it's delivered. So they are um, innovation, cybersecurity, uh, social media, uh, web presence and web tools, artificial intelligence, and making decisions with data. So there are the six modules, and within each module you have those soft skills um, interwoven in the content and the delivery and everything else. Um, the big picture, I suppose, um, from Facebook is they're really looking for social impact. 
in, in all of those regions. They're looking for, um, it's the demographic is 18 to 30 year olds um, at the moment, and they're looking for social impact. So how did this particular workshop help you to, you know, um, maybe come up with a, a better mindset and belief in yourself to then go and apply for a job and get that job or um, the b- belief mindset that you can do anything and be anyone and you can go and start a business and you did. Um, so they're looking for all of these, what they call good news stories. Um, you know, people to come back to them after a few months, six months, a year to say, um, the workshop was amazing. I learned these skills. It opened up my mind to to possibilities. I went off and learned more information about this, that, and everything else. And now I have my own business, and it's successful. It's just startup, but it's doing really well, and you know things like that. Um, and that, that's essentially it. You know, that's what the project's about. It's about upskilling our, our workforce, digitally upskilling our workforce, because there is, um, you know, there is a massive shortage. There are gaps in skill sets across um, you know, the UK um, and all our countries. So it is essential that big brands are, are filling, coming in and, and helping out in these areas, I suppose. And Google have been doing it for a few years and now Facebook have come into play as well. So um, and as I say, the content's brilliant. Um personally for for my company so how many learners to earners will you be skilling up and and which parts of the united kingdom are you going to be you know taking the lead on in terms of that training as well yeah great question um it's funny because i get more every day so (laughs) (laughs) um it started out with um so we've got my company's Buzzstart Academy, so we've just launched basically in parallel with this project coming into play. So this is basically my launch, my first partner. Uh, and our regions are um, Wales, Scotland, Northern Ireland, um, South, Southwest, Southeast England, Cornwall, and the Northeast of England um, at the moment. So they're all the regions that we're covering. We're talking to um, a few of the LEPs. Um, you know that there, there's a big initiative at the minute with the government and Margaret James uh, department, um, and they're really pushing uh, and investing in digital skills and the upskilling of our workforce. So there is a lot of stuff going on, and essentially, it's really about um, connecting with the right people. Um, you know, so it could be a lecture in a college, it could be some youth club, it could be, you know, for example, we've we've just partnered with um, a training academy who delivers solely to prisoners and um, to upskill prisoners and give them, you know, an opportunity and a chance when they come out of prison um, to actually, you know, start a business or, you know, um, walk into a job, something that they're interested in. Um, and essentially they do coding, um, they specify in coding. So um, there's so much scope um, for, it is 18 to 30. It's really for anyone who wants to learn more. Um, it's designed in a way to signpost you to the next stage. You know, so here's a taster of these subjects. Um, it opens your mind and then it's like a springboard then to go on and explore and do other things and find out other information, do other courses, you know, apply for jobs and stuff like that. So if I'm listening in and I'm either, you know, uh, running a course and thinking this would be brilliant for my students or, you know, thinking, oh, actually, that would be great for me. Um, do you have to attend physically, like in person or is it um, online as well? So it's all in person um, for, for the specific reason that it is very hands on, practical, high pay engaging um you know delivery um so it's that environment that room where we bring i mean from my perspective i like to mix it up you know with my workshop so instead of having a room full of students i like to you know out, outsource to um you know 
other uh, like entrepreneur societies, um, small business, um, startup accelerators, uh, disadvantaged youth in, in that uh, location, and multiple other you know um, groups or, or um, companies or whatever, and try and get a really nice mixture of people in the room so that they can all bounce off one another and share their knowledge and expertise and <clears throat> open their minds um, to to different possibilities and so on. But it is it's all uh, real world. There's no online content, so it's all practical. Although we do have, we do signpost them um, attendees to things like Facebook Blueprint, um, you know, Google's Digital Garage, uh, and multiple other free resources online where you can learn so much um, about all of the different platforms and tools that exist in the digital world today. If people are listening and they want to know um, what's happening in their area, where should they go to kind of find out local courses? Sure. Um, so we have the the website um, buzzstartacademy.com. Um, so I've created a page, a landing page on the site where you can actually go on and either contact myself directly or you can book. Um, there's a link to a booking form where you can actually book an event. Um, we also push out our events via Eventbrite. The first port of call would be um, the buzzstartacademy.com website um, and you can reach out to me directly. I'd be more than happy to help. I've been uh, doing this for a while. So I guess, have you seen the impact of, you know, people coming and learning about these different uh, skill set areas and, and then going off and implementing it in their own lives. I have uh, and a great example <clears throat> we actually discussed last week was uh, Caitlin who um, Caitlin was on my uh, Google Square class or course and um, she got one of the highest marks in the course and then um, I helped her after that because she had reached out so I gave her some help and brought her on board then um, you know, uh, working part time with uh, this project with Facebook, and she she just excelled in in the first month basically. Um, she's helped me with so much that I um, promoted her to head of marketing and content. Um, and uh, Caitlin's only twenty two, so um, that that is one great example, you know. But um, again, from my own background, I mean, I've worked as I said, I've trained over ten thousand apprentices, and. I, I've seen so many of them um, go on and excel in everything that they're doing. Um, I'm connected with them on LinkedIn. I suffer from anxiety my whole life, so um, I actually connected with quite a few, and Caitlin's one of them, who um, also suffer from anxiety. And um, it's just that connection and being able to help them and show them what I've achieved um, is so, so powerful. And it's really, really helping them too, you know, with their own lives and, and their work and everything. So it's pretty cool. It's amazing. Well, thank you so much, Patrick. And uh, yeah, it must be pretty rewarding to think you've affected all of those people and they've gone on and, and know that they can uh, do more than they probably think yeah absolutely it's great to see um i know myself i wish i was them back then <laughs> and i had someone like me but <laughs> it is what it is <laughs> thanks everyone for listening if you're interested in events coming up here's one for your diary future edtech takes place on the 11th and 12th of june in london it's free for higher ed peeps uh, and everyone else can use the code podcast20 to get a nice discount so go and check out all the details at www.theedtechpodcast.com that's all for now have a wonderful week everyone do feel free to follow us at podcast edtech